Hi, I'm Bryce. And I'm Jimmy. We are telecom and creative professionals. We're also fans of podcasting as our respective careers give us an abundance of windshield time. While there is a podcast for just about any obscure topic you can think of, there was no regular podcast pertaining to Montana politics. That is why with our combined powers, we are Montana Voices Podcast. We strive to be an independent voice for all issues pertaining to Montanans and Montana politics. We also strive to be very forthcoming with our personal biases as we attempt to see beyond them. Montana Voices Podcast does not operate in a vacuum. We need your support. Whether that be listening to our cast, providing us feedback, sending us conversation topics, sharing our content, or providing financial support. We look forward to a long career in podcasting with your added assistance. So welcome to Montana Voices Podcast. We're in 20, episode 28 of this year, and we have a very special guest with us, Mr. Tim Johnson out of Corvallis, Montana. He's hoping to be our next representative here in Montana. He's got a primary ahead of him. Of course, out of Corvallis, he's currently serving as superintendent for Corvallis Public Schools. He's a father to six boys, and he spends a lot of time in the great outdoors. Imagine the six boys take you on many adventures. So, And Bitterroot's a great spot to be an avid outdoorsman. He has some law enforcement experience. Before changing course, realizing that he would rather work with young adults, spent his formative educational years becoming a law enforcement officer, hoping to be an SRO, is that right? SRO or Highway Patrol. He currently serves as a volunteer reservist for the Valley County Sheriff's Department, so welcome uh, Mr. Tim Johnson. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. Well, anything you want to correct or, or add right there to my... No, I, I would say that uh, I have a full life. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, six boys, my goodness, I can't... Uh, so we keep on having girls. Uh, we're on our third girl and one son, like we, our oldest is a boy. So mm-hmm. I understand the struggle and we're hoping for a boy next time, but we'll see if that works out. So. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's fun having six boys around. I, we're a blended family, so I have two stepsons and, and four of my own from a previous marriage. So it's when we're all together, it's entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We're, we're blended as well. So it used to be some stigma with that way back when, but I think the Brady Bunch maybe... Yeah, took that, that away. And that may have helped, yep. Of course, out of Corvallis, uh, first thing on our list is we were talking about the cry of wisps and rural internet access. That, of course, is a big uh, big push for John Tester uh, mm-hmm. and getting the USDA dollars here in Montana. But, of course, he's not your direct opponent, but certainly on the other side of the idol. And mm-hmm. if you are elected, somebody you'll, you'll probably have to work closely with. That's right. Yeah, and I would, just from a personal experience, I'm not intimately involved or uh, understand all of what's involved with WISPs. Um, my personal experience just with technology access where I live in the Bitterroot Valley, which you'd, you'd think, you know, it's a, a fairly populous area that we would have easy access to the Internet. And, and I actually go off of satellite, and uh, it's limited to a certain amount of downloadable uh, content. And so I'm limited on what I can do. At, at my place, um, cell phone coverage is spotty at best as well, and uh, I'm not that far off of U.S. Highway 93 right there in, in the Corvallis area. So, for me, it's it's a concern because I think that's something that, as Montanans um, and as a rural state, uh, the overwhelming majority of the state is rural. How do we, uh, how do citizens of the state have access to technology to conduct business? Absolutely, and that's one of the things they pointed out in the KRTV story uh, before they. Apparently heard our cries. I'd like to think that there's a news guy over there listening to our cast, uh, hopefully right now. We, we were talking about WISP and specifically the small business aspect of it. How when you have the my position on the USDA dollars is 
a lot of these small internet companies don't have you know somebody that's employed just to look at you know grant easements and etc so they're often left in the dust and what ends up happening is you paying the large guys to come in to essentially snuff these guys out or that's what our government dollars are doing as far as making another barrier of entry so i don't know if that resonates well with you uh of course are running as a conservative uh, on the on the republican ticket so correct yeah and i i would i would add to that just based off of my limited knowledge that i however the infrastructure is put into place it should be in the sense that it's competitive allows competition between big and small companies across the board because it, it generally allows for you know better pricing better services um and as long as the little guy has a shot at it i think that's important as well right and that's sort of where the difficulty comes in mm-hmm. where as far as making it so they do have a shot yeah. like i said they often don't have a you know personnel that are devoted to grant writing or etc as like your CenturyLink's verizons and your other other big guys might so it's only a concern for rural montana and i guess there's multiple ways to to go about fixing that i mean john tester thinks it's pumping more dollars into the usda to get these grants for rural development and a lot of money going that way because plowing fiber in anywhere is a very expensive venture and often you're not going to pay for that with customer base or traditionally you aren't or if you let it be the wild west and let uh, companies such as whips or others develop on their own so mm-hmm. so a quick segue you are an avid outdoorsman so yes. Hunting season is upon hunting us. Season, I'll tell you what, this is it's kind of difficult being indoors today. Uh, you're looking at the leaves starting to change here, and, and the weather's nice. And for me, and I was mentioning this to my wife, it's like, man, I, you know, my time is is now kind of shot with uh, all the campaigning and then the, the full-time work as a superintendent as well. So I, I envy those that are out in the woods today and, and enjoying it. And whether you get something or not, it's always a it's always a wonderful experience outside. So yeah, absolutely. What what do you usually go for? I, you know, I, I'm originally from Minnesota, so whitetail deer hunting was, was king out there. And uh, so I've enjoyed whitetail hunting or deer hunting for a long time, but I've always had this penchant for hunting elk. I haven't been successful hunting elk. Um, They're a bit more elusive. So. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a, an animal that uh, kind of congregates in other areas. It's not widespread. So that's something that you have to spend the time and as a superintendent and with some of the duties I have and volunteer work that I do. Uh, time is a premium, so I try. I, I get out there and try. Um, I love grouse hunting. Um, that's another uh, commonality I think between Minnesota and Montana is rough grouse hunting, deer hunting. Um, I also do some some predator hunting as well. But um, it's just you know the outdoor piece is just it's awesome. It's something that I've uh, done with my boys and my wife. She'll, she'll come out and she'll walk. She actually walks and reads a book when I go grouse hunting. So <laughs> she'll just be reading a book while we're walking a, a logging trail. So. That's all good. Oh, my wife's sort of the opposite. She'll tell me I'm doing it wrong and <laughs> offer to get in there. So that's something that I've, it's something I, my dad uh, shared with me when I was a young boy um, in East Central Minnesota, kind of a, another rural area, uh, full of mosquitoes and wood ticks and Lyme disease. But it was it was so fun. We got a, a a bird dog when I was a kid, and I love working with bird dogs because it's this relationship between myself and the dog and the communication. And, and using their skills and talents together is, it makes it just a joy. You know, I, I almost enjoy that as much as, you know, actually getting a bird and, and things like that. It's it's just fun working with a dog too. That's sort of a, a year long project because you're training all year round if you have a bird dog. And yeah, it's, it's, you're always on top of the training. Yeah, it's, um, you, you, 
you do certain things with the dog year-round that reinforce or maintain certain habits that you want to have out in the field. And so you just don't let go of those things and the obedience and the repetition and the praise. I mean, it's it works so much better praising a dog and working with a dog that way. I, it's fun. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. So we pride ourselves in being a little off the cup. We had a list of issues going in that uh, I thought would be interesting to discuss. but. Yeah. Going beyond those, uh, I didn't see anything on your website, and this is going to be important for Montana, certainly as a representative. Your position on wolves, is, um, and also to sort of maybe segue into that a little bit, uh, coming up in a future cast, we are going to have a representative who is on the, takes the hard stance on the position that wolves should be you know, hunted just like any other animals, and he makes a great argument for that. So do you believe they should be protected or they should be wild or free game or what are your thoughts on that i think we just as a as a larger statement i think we have a, an obligation to be good stewards of all the resources that are here um, they all contribute to a you know a balanced system um, at the same time you know there's animals that we prefer you know elk i would love to to get an elk that's something that i would you know utilize the the meat you know year round so that's something that i i look forward to um so I think there's a balance. What I'm, what I'm getting at is there's a, there's a stewardship mindset that we should have around all of these different outdoor resources. So as far as, you know, do I think wolves should be protected or open to management by the states? I think it should be open to the management by the states. Um, I think the states generally know best. And when I say generally, I, I can't think of a situation where Washington, D.C. knows better than Montanans do when it comes down to the wolf population and how they interact with with other uh, animals in our our ecosystem here in Montana. So I that's where I stand on wolf hunting. I think is a great option. It's managed by you know FWP. It's something that um, you know there's resources that those who hunt you know they pay for the, the tag to to go hunt the wolf. There's um, there's good management pieces that that go into making sure the wolf population doesn't have happened to it what it did you know decades ago so absolutely yeah so there's a balance in there i think there's i as a as a person who's hunted wolves i don't want to see them disappear at the same time i want to see elk (laughs) so i like i like them both and maybe i'm a little uh i wouldn't say on the left but i just can't imagine eating a wolf it doesn't it seems too close to dog in my opinion but you know to each their own i guess that's true that is true yep Moving on to trapping, mm-hmm. uh, opinions on that. Uh, I'm sort of taking the stance that the you know proposed ban on trapping, or what some people would like, is just a basically chip on the shoulder, and they're trying to basically segue into more controls on hunters and, and how available that is in the state for for game entirely. So, yeah. well, I think there's plenty of regulations around trapping and, and controlling how those that do go out and trap game um, do that. Um, if they're following the regulations and and that I you know trapping the animal is a different way of of harvesting an animal you know I, I can I can appreciate the the views that that those that don't like trapping have I, I really do can appreciate it at the same time I think it's uh, it's another way of harvesting that has a long tradition it's something that has a purpose behind it when it comes down to trapping and uh, yeah, it's it's not something that I get too wound up over. As far other than I think summarily dismissing trapping as um, as a unappealing way of managing another game animal. 
um, and th- th- these are predators almost exclusively. And uh, exactly. so I can appreciate that. I think it's, you know, predators are a different type of animal too. I, I have to say I've, I've hunted both the, the game and the, the prey, the prey and the predator, I should say. And uh, I actually think it's harder to, to predator hunt than to hunt uh, the prey or the elk, the deer, you know, those kind of game animals. So um, it just takes more skill and more patience and, it's just a different kind of approach. Well, I've never hunted a predator, so I, I imagine they're a bit a bit smarter than your reptiles. Very wary. Yeah, the, the wily coyote phrase is very true. <laughs> very wily, indeed, and creative. So you made mention a little bit ago about uh, some roots in, in Minnesota. Yeah. And this is something that we've talked about on the, the cast before of how long is long enough to be Montana per se. You're 18 years into the state, is that right? Or almost 10. Uh, just I came out here in 2010. 2010. And uh, what happened? So I'll give you a little insight into my, into my story. So I was a uh, teacher slash administrator in uh, in Minnesota, and my job was cut. I had just finished my admin certification, and like I said, you know, living in the West, the Mountain West, outdoors, like that is the crown jewel. And so I started applying for jobs here in Montana. And was hired in a small school district just east of Missoula, Potomac. Oh. And I was out there for four years. And uh, loved a great school district, great community, great experience. Um, we had a lot of success. We did a lot of innovative things out there. Um, and uh, after the four years there, there was a job opening in Corvallis, which I saw from a distance and applied for that too. So, yeah, I I, I can totally, I, I again, I understand. I, I can appreciate, you know, the... Uh, the perspective around how long have you been in Montana? How well do you understand Montana? I think, frankly, there's a lot of similarities between Minnesota and Montana. Um, there's differences for sure, but there's a lot of similarities. There are times when when I hear people say certain words in Montana, it's like, man, that sounds a little Minnesotan, you know? <laughs> like crick. <laughs> crick. Oh yeah, <laughs> crick is a great one. That's like I, I know what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. We can go down to the crick. So yeah, there's some similarities. There's definitely. Uh, I, I can appreciate the differences, though. I think that's something that you respect, and uh, it's not something that you dismiss at all because I think it's important. I guess sort of still comes down to the question of how long is long enough to be Montanan? Because I, I know if Rice was here, he'd be quick to defend the left. It's sort of our, our partake there. It feels like they're going to try to give you a black guy for not being, you know, born in a hospital out of Miles City. So, and they try, but of course, you know, the left has their own people that are, yeah, I think. Was it uh, Williams was from California, as I believe, uh, mm-hmm. but they still try to get, was that uh, Maryland Matt, as they called him? Mm-hmm. In the Maryland election. Matt, yeah. yeah or uh, yeah. Danes, of course, but then they, you know, sort of just hushing under the rug when it's somebody like Mayor Wilmont out of Helena who's, uh, who's running again for, for state office. So that, I think that's where I got you mixed up with the 18 years I was thinking of. Yeah. Wilmont and Howell, I don't think anybody on the right would, you know, dare question his Montanan roots. I mean, Looking into some of his history, sometimes I feel like he's more American and Montanan than I am, having mm-hmm. having served and such. But yeah, but I think a long time. Not to say that just because you're not, you know, born, like I said out of a barn in Potomac <laughs> or wherever, that you're not Montana and not qualified. So, sort of, uh, I think unfair to sling mud that way, in my opinion. Well, I think it, you know it's a. It's a good start to the conversation, but if that's the sum total of the conversation, then I think you shortchange the possibilities of, of doing things differently. Or I, I can I can understand both perspectives. Um, I think I provide I, I'm passionate. So I here here's a and I don't I guess this is going to be public. So I look it out there, but 
you know, in Minnesota, there's a, there's a kind of a phrase or an understanding that it's Minnesota nice. And when I came out here to visit um, in 2009, and it was a short visit, and I went back to Minnesota, man, Montana, that's nicer than Minnesota. And it tr- I truly believe that when it comes down to just the people that I've met and I've worked with, and that's ever since I have uh, came out here permanently in 2010. There is nothing like Montanans. I go back to Minnesota to visit family and things like that, and it's it's a great place to be. But that's just how much better I think Montana is to everybody. I mean, I, the the way that Montanans treat each other and treat people who are here um, visiting or whatever it it is uh, it's memorable. It leaves an impact. I'm gonna agree with you wholeheartedly. Montana is the best state of the union. So mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I can say that on Montana Voices podcast. Yeah. Moved on to some of our, I guess we'll call them canned responses. Uh, was there any specific event that sort of led you to making this your first attempt at, you know, being a representative? So the, I'm 23 years in public education. Public education uh, is viewed, I think, and this is a generalization, whether it's fair or not. I, I this is just, I think, something that most people would would agree that um, tends to have a more liberal. Um, support base to it you know the nea uh the democratic support you know public education and and right or wrong that's kind of how it goes i this is something that i've chosen to be involved in as a conservative um because i care deeply about educating our youth deeply that's one of the reasons why i stepped out of law enforcement my first time around and got into education because i want to work with youth and uh so that's something that over time i've found that some of the conservative things that I try to work with in public education, there's a it's a real struggle, and it's a real struggle, I think, to, to maintain balance. I think it's it tends to get out of balance at times. Um, I think we're in a, a situation now where we're we're out of balance, but uh, it's never something that goes just you know out of whack. You know, public ed- education is not broken. Um, public education has much like a pendulum that goes back and forth because it is such a public interest in this country, in this state, absolutely, in every locality. So maybe moving on to more federal things. Sure. Uh, going through some of your you know bullet points on your website, uh, you mentioned you sort of I guess dives into sc- school choice, charter schools, and that's yeah. been a, a real hot topic for at least on the federal level. I, I don't think I've seen too much commotion in in Montana mm-hmm. as far as. Uh, I guess the voucher system or proposed voucher system of having basically uh, for our listeners that don't know, you would instead of you get a tax credit or some sort of voucher where if you choose to send your kids to private school, that you're not basically publicly funding their school. Correct. Is that a good statement there? Or? Well, I, I'll let me sum it up this way. I think the voucher system is a Trojan horse. Um, according to the Montana Constitution, this is a state, state issue to start with. Uh, according to the Con- Montana Constitution, that uh, public funds are not to be distributed to private institutions that uh, that have a religious bend to them. Vouch- the voucher system, to me, in conjunction with the Constitution, is one way where public funds, whether they're gathered up or they're pre-taxed, and you can you can utilize them on your own, is one way for I think federal or state oversight. And I think that that's not a good idea for the for the folks that want to use that system. I think the whole point of the the voucher system is to have more independent control and have choice. But wherever the money goes, there's always a string attached to it. And that's where I I hear conservatives talk to me about this on this issue. And I tell them, I I warn against it. I say, this is, in the long run, this is not going to work the way that you think it is. I mean, just look at the public education system. 
over time, there have been more strings attached with every dollar that we get from whatever the source happens to be. And it never results in what you thought it was at the beginning. So I really caution against the voucher system because I think it's a Trojan horse. The choice piece, I'm a firm believer in, in, in the choice part of it. I think choice has really helped education in the long run. It's helped push school districts to work to better their craft, to better their capacity to meet the needs of students. Um, so long as there's a legitimate choice, you know, that people have, not a, a straw man kind of a choice. So I think choice has, has been beneficial. Um, I think for the years when I was in school, um, choice was not uh, an option, if I remember right. And I wasn't paying attention to politics when I was in kindergarten or first grade. But, you know, you went to the neighborhood school, that's what you had. And that's, you know, you, it was kind of a very internal control kind of a thing. But when you start competing with other schools and other districts, then things, I think they've gotten better overall. And there's there's some pieces to choice that, that can be um, detracting or, or uh, you know, maybe go the other direction. But overall, I think school choice has benefited schools. I'm going to agree with you there as well. So unfortunately, Bryce isn't here to argue with me. So it was like, <laughs> to try to do that with myself. Yeah. And of course, trying uh, back to when you went back to school, because that was before we had, a, I guess, as the federal overreach, the sort of hands of sort of control over all the smaller schools. And going back to even my grandparents' generation where it was a one-room schoolhouse, but that was locally controlled with some state and some federal dollars, but there wasn't that, I guess, oversight that you have now. And what is the uh, the test? No Child Left Behind is right. uh, what mm-hmm. comes immediately into mind as far as, you know, federal government having their claws and each school district right right and that that to me there's a there's a point at which you know the department of education was formed around uh the enforcement of civil right civil rights laws Mm. and that's where the department of education came into being um, was to fulfill that obligation in the public school system and i think we've done a good job it's not perfect i think we've done a good job in um fulfilling you know brown versus board of education one and two um we can do better we can you know there's i think there's some things that that need to be tweaked but i think overall i think we've done a good job the issue that i have really with with the federal department of education is that 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 uh input into public schools in montana has grown and I've said this in board meetings and around the, around wherever I'm asked this question. If I could give the federal money back to the federal government, I would, because the the ping pong effect that we get every four years if a new president is, is elected is ridiculous as far as how we're treated as a public institution when it comes to federal dollars. In addition, these unfunded mandates. You know, there's when it comes down to special education, title education, we lose in Corvallis. We lose fifteen thousand dollars every year. And yet we're still obligated to provide those same services at the same level. So what happens then is Montanans pay the taxes basically to backfill what the federal government has pulled out. So not only are they pulling the strings on us financially, they're not they're not paying us what we're supposed to get when it came to that that mandated um, uh, program in the first place. So I, it is to me there needs to be some serious looks at what the, the role of the federal government in public education is, I would prefer to roll that responsibilities more back into the states for now. That's just my perspective on, on the role of federal government. Now, does that mean that there is no role for the federal government in, in education? Clearly, that's not the case. Brown, you know, Brown versus the Board of Education shows that. Mm-hmm. So there is a role, but I think it needs to be 
looked at with a fine-tooth comb. You think that's still an issue today? I mean, you pointed out the Brown versus Board of Education. So say that that legis- that was went the other way or we no longer had that overreach, the decision was reversed. Do you think that would have negative repercussions or do you think... If Brown was overturned or w- did not exist? Did not exist. Well, at the time, I will agree with you 100%. It yeah. was needed and important. But in 2019, is it as relevant, basically? No, I don't think it's as relevant in the, in the way that they're ex- executing the Department of Education uh, initiatives, along with the Office of Civil Rights. You know, there's there are, I think... There are other avenues that these things can be uh, affected. And to have a, a, a whole department in the federal government uh, dedicated to this, I think is it's not a effective or efficient use of resources. And so it's, it's kind of a hard question to answer, you know, what would it be like if we didn't have Brown versus Board of Education or if we didn't have the, the OCR, Office of Civil Rights, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of the the enforcement division of the Department of Education. You know, it's it's difficult to say what that would be. I, I just think it's at this point in time in education, we have so, you know, you, you take, let's take school choice again. School choice compels us to do things differently because what happens is families get to choose where their dollars go by where their child enrolls in public schools. Right. So we're compelled financially to meet the needs of students the best that we can. We don't need the Department of Education to tell us this stuff. We, we've got families telling us in a much closer relationship than the federal government when it comes down to it. So that's, an, I think, an example of how some of those things can be addressed. So I've burned up a fair amount of time. Imagine you could talk all, all evening regarding education. Sure, absolutely. Some, absolutely yeah. some that's close and dear to your heart. <laughs> the main questions that we want to address, and these were written by our executive um, script uh guy he's a has a political science degree and is smarter than all of us but they mm-hmm. <laughs> they kind of feel like hand questions like it's the same thing you get if cnn was sitting here with you what sets you apart from other candidates in this very race who have won montana elections this of course is your your first run for for this for example we have a uh, rosendale and uh, stapleton who are both running and uh, they've won state level positions how are you Planning to, to combat that, because obviously not only name recognition, but sure. people have voted for him in the past. I will say Tim Johnson's a very common name in the phone book, though. So name recognition is a matter of perspective. But so how do I set myself apart? What's my how do my experiences apply? Um, I, the concern that I have uh, and why I got into this race is the silo effect when it comes down to debating issues. We, we debate or we talk about or we get impassioned over issues in silos in this conversation around a particular specific topic. And we're not bringing in the other layers that are also involved in this conversation, not to mention the overarching role of the federal government when it comes down to the, to having a role in the first place. And by focusing on just real specific issue by issue, I think we lose track of where all of these things are supposed to be in the first place. That's a concern I have. And it's not just Republicans. It's, it's the politics in general that we have gotten very minutia focused around issues and we're losing some of the bigger picture pieces. And that's what I, my focus has been in education because education is a microcosm of the federal government. I mean, exactly. we, we get all of the initiatives coming our, our direction when it comes to financials, when it comes to social issues, all that stuff. And so it's important. It's really important to ground yourself 
in the larger picture. And I think that's, that's what my experience in education has forced me to do because to run a school system, you have to be aware of all that. And so that's my, I think my experiences are for 23 years as a full-time educator. I I think that's an an important piece. And maybe this ties into my next question. You pointed out those, you know, single voting issues. And one of them of course is abortion, which you propose there should be an amendment to the constitution that says, Life begins at conception, is mm-hmm. that right? Yeah. And that is one of those issues that people will, you know, vote one way or the other on, but that is the only issue that a lot of people will will vote on. How do you plan to overcome that? Say there's a conservative who believes in their pro choice or um how do you plan to overcome that while being, I guess, modern enough to capture those voters? Well, I think to me this is a uh this is a, an important issue around the definition of human life and with the definition of human. So this goes back to that bigger picture. When we define what human life is, then the rights and, and the privileges go along with it. So that definition is really important. If we talk about just a specific component of it, we lose track of the larger picture of what is human life in public education. <laughs> you come back. This, this is public education through and through. We teach, you know, when it comes to, let's say, astronomy, and this is something that I, as an educator, presented to the, the state legislature on the personhood bill. We teach, if we were to send a, a, a rocket ship up to Mars and we were looking for life, what does it take to say life exists on Mars? Right. It's, a- it's one cell. <laughs> All we need is one cell that is unique and different from the surrounding environment. And we have, we've established life on a planet we don't have the same perspective when it comes to human life. And I think that's contradictory, and I think it's confusing, starting with, with edu- public education. It's a, that's a real problem. And so this confusion then around a, a logical or even a scientific definition of when life begins and the stages of life that result from that translate into these larger social questions. But we focused in on the social questions first, and we haven't gone back and resolved the very first question of what right. does it take to make life? We have to answer that question first. We have a single seat in Congress, and how do you plan on making uh, our voices heard? This, uh, this goes back to experiences in public education. This is part of making public education relevant to the residents within a school district. This is, you know, as a superintendent, this is your school district. You know, this is your representative seat in Congress. And the way that I, I view this and the frustration that I have is uh, when it comes down to either Senate seats or the House seats, you typically start hearing from those members of Congress the year before. They come back and they start having town, town hall meetings. And I can appreciate that there's, there's a lot of work to be done, but somehow they manage to have those town hall meetings at a certain time prior to an election cycle. So my perspective is, is that shouldn't be something that we just cram for the test, you know, a certain period of time before an election. That this should be a constant relationship. You should be meeting and talking with folks, letting them know what's going on with Washington. My perspective is you're bringing Washington back to Montana so we understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And my role as a representative would be to influence Washington as a Montanan. Well, on your your side, you pledged to visit Every single county in Montana. All 56, yeah. All 56. So how do you plan to balance the needs of the most rural parts of Montana? Obviously, River Valley is pretty populous, but it has, a, uh, I think, a different point of view that a Missoula might take or Missoula County might take. How do you plan to balance between those two, I guess, rural and urban worldviews? 
Well, you know, you're elected as a representative, and so um, you certainly you certainly take the input from all of the constituents in the state of Montana. But you're also elected as a person with with stated intentions, you know, and and so there's there's influences involved. But this isn't something that is just totally fluid and dynamic. That I'm gonna I'm gonna do whatever the voters tell me to do. Um, it's a representative process, and so I represent based off of you know the votes, based off of the stated intentions. So. But I think it's also very important that, and I think this is a this is largely missed in politics, and that is that we have much more in common than we have in differences generally. Now, there's going to be some significant differences, and those differences will be differences. You know, that's the way it works. <laughs> you know, I think to hear what those commonalities are and to make sure that we don't skip over those things and focus in on the differences with all our energy and, and all of our passion and resources. Like that, that to me is a misuse of the conversations that we can have as Montanans. And that's, again, at public education, there's all kinds of views in public education, what, who should be doing what and why and all that. And I go back to, so what do we have in common? Let's build off of that first. We'll probably take care of most of what the concerns are, maybe in a different way, uh, but we can do most of it. And then at the end of the day, if we have differences, we have differences. And that's where we're at. So take Missoula County, for example. Sleep a very populous county, Yellowstone, yes. there are. And Yellowstone and Great Falls are a little bit more on the right than Missoula County. And Missoula, I think, is larger than the surrounding five counties, if I'm thinking right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's sort of a, a, a chicken and an egg as far as being representative and most liked amongst your constituents of trying to balance, you know, Missoula with everybody else. So, so my understanding so, the question then, um, Missoula may be different perspective in, in worldviews and perspectives around different issues than maybe the larger or the other part of the populations that have elected a representative. And how do you, how do you work with those differences? Right. Is say kind of- Missoula and the majority of voters are going to say hypothetically, not to say this is the case, are going to disagree with you on the subject of uh, being pro-life and mm-hmm. defining life right at conception. Mm-hmm. And you know, or would assume that you would not get elected if you run on that platform. Mm-hmm. Is that going to make a difference for you? Well, I, that's where I, if it's a if it's a value that you hold dearly, then it's a value you hold dearly, and the consequences go along with it. And I, I'm willing to do that. I, I think that's something that uh, is important enough to me to to take that stand. At the same time, I'm also I think we there, there's another piece to the to this. If I can kind of do a little tangent off of this, oh, please and do. That is when we have the convers when we have a debate around these types of, of issues like, you know, uh, pro-choice versus pro-life, guns, Second Amendment, you know, banning this or not banning that. The debates or the conversations are more about posturing and more about, you know, fist pounding on particular issues rather than actually debating and getting into what the rationale is behind these things and actually getting into a a more informative conversation around these things. And maybe that's a utopian perspective that I have, but that's the, that's the disconnect when it comes down to, you know, whether or not I get elected based off of this issue. I ask the question, do we really understand what these issues mean um, in the context of a debate? So have we actually gone out and fleshed all this out and what the what the pieces are that, again, larger picture, bringing in, this is layers of an onion, putting the whole onion in front of you and saying, let's deal with all these different pieces. Because I'll tell you, here's an example on the pro-life piece and the pro-choice versus pro-life in public education that we don't talk about. 
And this is a major issue in public education that just gets pushed under the carpet, and which is what I was trying to present at the personhood bill hearing. And that is not only do we have the classroom conversation around when, what constitutes life. This part I didn't, I didn't talk about, but I didn't have time to. When we have a teenager who comes into our office, into a counselor's office who's pregnant, and we know that teenager is using, using drugs or alcohol, we're mandated reporters by statute. And according to the statute, the statute says that you'll report child abuse. So the real question is, is that teenager pregnant with a child or pregnant with a choice? I'm kind of characterizing it here, but you get right. the idea. Because we're, main, we're mandated reporters by state statute. We're criminally liable if we don't report it. And we know this, this teenager is using drugs or alcohol. So what do we do? This question is very important. And to posture around the idea of, you know, kind of typical political, you know, uh, bumper stickers around this topic doesn't get at answering some of these important questions. It doesn't get at, like, these are some serious pieces that, that should be inf informing the debate, not just on the fringes. So that's what I would, when it comes down to it, I'm willing to, to have the conversation. So long as we can have the conversation, let's have the whole conversation and not have a, a bumper sticker exchange right. in the process. Um, and again, I'm, I'm willing to, to disagree on ideas, but I, I absolutely will not give up on people. Absolutely will not do that. Well, I can I appreciate that. Because that's one of the main reasons we started uh, this production is get so bunkered down and people that I otherwise normally like and are, are good friends with and just get split on on some issues and yeah. arguing back and forth specifically on social media is doing a whole lot of people a disservice i think so we wanted something that, a bit more nuanced where we found you know between far right and far left that we're we're people and we're more common and agree on more things than i think some people would like us to believe so isn't it interesting that we are i believe more disconnected relationally even though we're more connected technologically i think there's a a growing misunderstanding of people through so because of social media, the platform of social media, the way that it's the way that it operates, that we have, I think we're less connected than we've ever been before. <laughs> in a lot of ways, even though we're and, talking to each other, it's not really like you and I sitting here, you know, talking face to face. There's more to it than, than, than chatting on. I think on a lot of it media. is is by design. Because of course, take Facebook for example, where we will be streaming live as well as other platforms. It polarizes you. Facebook, first of all, categorizes you as you know far left, liberal, conservative, sure. far yep. right. It puts a tag on that. And I found as I'm voicing more opinions on Facebook, or previously I try to avoid that, other than this very cast, that I would I was guaranteed to see something on my feed posted by somebody I, I normally like that I just thought was appalling and just politically disastrous, basically. Mm -hmm. So I was more likely to see that after you know posting on there. So I think it's by design because. Facebook has an algorithm. They know how to keep you on Facebook mm -hmm. and as well as other social media platforms. So it's taking time to sit down. I really appreciate this, uh, Tim Johnson. It's Tim Johnson running on the Republican ticket, hoping to be our next representative for the state of Montana. Mm -hmm. so thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's been good.